the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. We could talk about anything on this show. And I hope you grasp that it's about getting you to retirement and getting you to save a little bit more money. The market's going to have an amazing year unless something goes terribly, terribly wrong. And your 401k should be sitting at an all-time high unless you've done something terribly, terribly wrong. Now, on this show, when I say we could talk about anything, we could talk about anything. I talk about video games. I've had to... I'll be careful what I say. Um, I talk about video games. I talk about trends. I talk about themes. Uh, There's a funny meme or something that's being patented right now called OK Boomer. And it's tied towards baby boomers and how millennials basically hate your guts. You're staying in the job market too long. You're not retiring. They're not getting the advancement. OK Boomer. I know. Did you know that that phrase? You're going to start seeing it on shirts. Baby boomers are evil. How's that for a concept, right? I don't really think baby boomers are evil. I do think this is a show dedicated to retirement, and I think we could look at history and say, weren't the baby boomers the the hippies of the 70s, the free love? All we are asking is give peace a chance. Aren't, Aren't those the boomers? Yeah. And then in the 80s, they sold out for BMWs. And now they're just not leaving the workforce. So that's a trend, right? Okay, boomer. So the boomers, baby boomers versus the millennials. Esports is another trend. Esports and gaming have burst into the mainstream recently. And I want you to get in on it so you look cool. There's been a shift um, ultimately from you know mainstream celebrities like Michael Jordan and Drake and DJ Marshmallow. And they're basically all helping increase the amount of coverage from traditional outlets like ESPN. You can actually see ESPN actually runs a a tournament, and it's the most amazing thing. I was watching some of it last year during the NHL playoffs of EA's electronic uh, NHL hockey. These guys are serious. I, I, I can't watch it for long without going, what the hell am I watching Two kids play a video game, a video game on TV. Uh-huh. Total e-sports viewership is expected to grow at 9% compound in annual growth rate between now and 2023. Um, that's stunning. You ask ABC, NBC, CBS if they can get 9% growth rate four years in a row, that would be pretty impressive. They can't. You ask baseball attendance to go up 9% each year for the next four years, it won't. NFL, it won't. Total esports viewership is going to be 454 million this year, people, and up to 646 million in 2023. 
So the audience is on pace to nearly double over a six-year period. Now, again, pop culture kind of defines people who play video games as losers. Like, oh, he's not motivated. He's going to sit on the couch all day and eat Doritos and play video games. But the pop culturalization of esports is is explosive. So now we're starting to see, like, this guy's almost an athlete. Because you look at things like Fortnite and the breakneck speed in which it came out of nowhere. So when I talk about these numbers, it, it eventually leads to dollars. Venture capitalists right now, private equity firms, they're investing in esports big time. It more than doubled in 2018. So total dollars, about $4.5 billion in 2018, up from just $490 million the year before. So how did we go from $490 million in venture capital dollars to $4.5 billion? That's a staggering year-over-year growth rate of 837%. Now, I'm not talking about grabbing a handful of quarters and going to the arcade. Hit song. True story from the 80s. Pac-Man fever. <laughs> Thank you. Song would do better, but I'll take a little Mario coin on, on occasion. The net result is that esports has matured from its roots of the arcade and getting into a complex digital ecosystem that most people haven't fully started to get their hands around. Some of the investments in this area, Twitch, Twitter, Twitch is owned by Amazon, Uh, Uber Eats, Valve. Valve just announced a virtual reality only game, Half-Life, a sequel that's been something like 20 years in in the making, or in the waiting is better. Major League Baseball is interested in NHL, NFL, ESPN. Facebook, the FaZe Clan, will they come public? FIFA has their finger in this. HBO, Honda, HyperX, big headset maker. Microsoft has Mixer. Monster Energy, if you ever watch any of these tournaments, you see their advertisements everywhere. Of course, Amazon, Alienware, Activision, Blizzard. Bud Light. Um, AT&T, Apple, they're all players. Disney's in the, in the game, 10 cent, not 11 cent, not 9 cent, but 10 cent. A lot of projections put the esports ecosystem on track to surpass 1 billion in revenue for the first time ever this year. New Zoo projects it to hit 1.8 billion by 2022. Money flows into esports through media rights, live ticket, live event ticket sales. Merchandise sales and in-game purchases. Most of the revenue, 69%, comes from the sponsorship and advertising. So, tournaments growing in size. And you're talking everywhere around the world, particularly Asia-Pacific and uh, in the United States. So, Asia-Pacific, North America, and Europe basically cover about 85% of the money. The rest of the world accounts for about 15% of total esports revenue. So if I'd done homework on esports, I have. Am I ready to invest in all those companies? Some I will. Oh, and I should also throw in NVIDIA and AMD, right? I was uh, working with a tech guy yesterday, and he goes, you've got the most powerful machine I've ever seen. I'm like, yep, because my radio machine's no good. (laughs) 
my TV machine's no good, and it drives me insane. So whenever I get a personal computer, I always go high-end. 800-516-1220. This was bound to happen. Burger King's being sued by vegan customers, saying the Beyond Meat, the Impossible Whopper, is being tainted by the grill. Interesting on what can happen in lawsuits, right? So if they're cooking them a meat patty next to a vegan patty. It is going to get some meat on it, right? So now those vegans are animal killers just like me. <laughs> I wish that were the case. Roku stock is falling today after disclosure of shareholder resales. Roku is off after the company discussed the selling stockholders would be selling reselling up to 571,000 shares. So they decided to buy a company called DataJoo. And um, Roku wants to be the operating system of the television. What's fascinating about that is you tend to hold a television for a long time. I've had my, I've had my current one for eight years, maybe. And operating systems tend to need that new startup computing power to, you know, every two or three years to kind of keep the apps fresh and hip and cool. We'll see. So Roku's stock has risen 423% this year. I've been talking about it for many years. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm not exactly sure if this is a winner or a loser in my television segment that I'll do in about an hour. Elizabeth Warren has put down a plan to try to get rental costs lower. It's called the Protecting and Empowering Renters Plan. Very catchy. She lays out policies that will help lower rents by 10%. Very interesting. One of my fears as a father is where will my kids live? Where will my kids work? Will my kids get a college degree that's important? Enough so that they can have a salary, so they can say, I kind of want to live in Hong Kong for a year. Or I kind of want to live in L.A. or Seattle or San Francisco for a year. Or seeing that I'm on the West Coast, maybe they'll want to see what Boston, New York, or Atlanta is all about. I tend to refer to Atlanta as hot Atlanta. So I'm worried about future rents. I should be behind this plan 100%. And yet, I feel... I feel it's a bit too progressive because we should be able to figure this. Some of the market dynamics should be able to be figured out on our own and not necessarily the government getting involved. My personal experience with the government is that they tend to get into situations and and it backfires. They try to fix an, an area that has a problem. They just throw a lot of money at it. Now, again, I'm very cynical. I'd rather folk, get people to focus on their own kindness than to expect the United States to do it. But we're talking about 100 million American renters. 100 million Americans rent their home. That's 36% of U.S. households. Federal housing policy has historically been very, very kind to homeowners. Trump kind of messed that one up for California and New York, very liberal parts of the country. Areas that probably aren't going to vote for him. So he gets upset. 
or his policy punishes the wealthy there or the expensive homes, but yet everyone else gets a better tax deduction if it's under a certain size of debt. So Warren is running for president. And I'm not saying all candidates will say whatever they need to to get elected, but I tend to think all candidates will say whatever they need to to get elected. Um, she said everyone deserves health care. And then she very, she saw that she tanked in the polls because that's just too far for a lot of Americans. And again, I'm, I'm not commenting on policy. I'm just commenting on, well, I guess I am commenting on policy or I'm commenting on the reaction to policy. Um, so she comes out next day after her poll numbers tank and says, well, I'm not going to do the single, everyone gets health care until at least the third year of my presidency. Saying, I'm not going to go in and shake it up. We're going we're gonna to craft a, a plan that works. Now, for protecting and empowering renters, projecting a 10% cut in cost of renting, it's, it's pretty attractive. Housing is, has housing inflation, cost of putting a home above your head has gone up, and it hasn't really gone down, good economy or bad economy. Ms. Warren proposes increasing the supply of houses by investing $500 billion over 10 years. She wants to preserve and rehabilitate more than 3 million units for lower-income families as part of her Housing for America plan. She thinks particularly vulnerable groups like the chronically homeless, people living with HIV, people with disabilities, seniors who want to age in place, and people who have been incarcerated are returning to communities that they can't afford. I, I can't be against that message, right? And when you do put money into housing, you do create jobs. So the guy, the guy down the street from me, he'll, he has hammer. He's willing to swing it. Warren suggests making targeting investments in rural housing programs, the Indian Housing Block Grant and the Native Hawaiian Housing Block Grant. This is where it just gets trippy, right? She wants to create what's called a middle-class housing emergency fund. I'm having problems digesting this in real time. She wants to lower the estate tax exemption from $22 million, which was set by Republicans in 2017, back down to $7 million, which is where it was set by George W. Bush's administration in 2009. So this is where I start finally talking about financial planning. If you're worth $10 million, you, you can get taxed 50% on that $3 million above 7, 7 plus 3 to 10. If you're worth 22, I, I don't like the death tax. And I'll be honest with you, because I've lived through it, I hate it. When my father died, he got taxed on how much wealth he had. Now, didn't he go to work for 40 years, 38 years? Didn't he go to work for 38 years and pay taxes on the money that he earned? And then it was his. Didn't we have a, a protest with a king about double taxation without representation? It feels like a death tax is double taxation. And if you think about all the forms of double taxation in our life, it's pretty insane. When you start with, let's say, a 28% federal tax bracket, and then you live in a state that has a 9%, 10% income tax bracket, so right there, you're 38%. And then you go to buy dinner, and you're like, what? It's 9.5% taxes here? You see your Social Security taxes. You see your disability insurance tax. Like, There's so much that's taxed. Your cable TV bill has a, we need money to put the internet in rural parts of America tax. 
So I'm not so sure that I want to pay with all these programs with future taxes, more taxes. Never met a tax I didn't like. Vote for me. I, I get that people are suffering from higher rents. I don't know how to solve it, but I don't know if the government's the right way to do it. And I, I don't know. Construction of new housing units haven't kept up with demands. We're definitively facing a supply shortage of housing in general. And amongst lower income groups, that's where we're really seeing the house, housing crisis manifest itself the most. In California, our solution for the expense of housing is to live in smaller and smaller spaces. As, as costs go up, smaller space. As costs go up, smaller space. How much house can you afford with low interest rates? is a good question. How much house could you afford with higher interest rates? Do I expect housing to always go up? I don't. I like the fact that she's addressing something for renters, because for the longest time, owners have had the, the tax deductions. Now, again, renters don't have to pay property tax, and that's another tax that I can hit with, right? So there's no right answers. There's just compromises. I'm Rob Black. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Trying to get you to retirement is the goal. Uh, One of the things that we talk about is we talk about business in the stock market because those are great areas, including this year. We're having a monster up year. I would not expect it each and every year. Appreciate it when it does happen. Let's bring in the one, the only from briefing.com. Talk a little bit about the stock market and what he's seeing, Patrick O'Hare. I start my day every day with your page one article. How are you doing, Patrick? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing okay, thanks. <clears throat> Pretty great year as we're winding things down. Um, what's your, what are your thoughts on the year? Like, should we have a party? Should we, you know, put it in the bank? Uh, what are your thoughts? Sure, have a party. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been a fantastic year, right? Um, you know, there's no reason to uh, quibble over a 25% return in the S&P 500 that's been produced with double-digit returns in 10 out of 11 economic sectors. So, um, there's a lot of room for celebration as it relates specifically to the performance of the equity market, and certainly for anyone who has remained long this equity market. So, it's definitely been a good year, and I guess you could say it's it's been a, a better-than-expected year uh, in a number of respects, particularly since there's been so much, uh, I guess, negativity in terms of uh, macro dynamics, and yet the market has traded right up uh, through those uh, through that negativity, climbing that proverbial wall of worry as it looks to a brighter future in 2020 and also uh, sort of travels the bridge to that future by uh, by way of the uh, belief in the Fed's monetary policy and the persistence of low interest rates. Sounds good. Um, how about the retail news today? Reading your page one at briefing.com, it's, there's a little bit of a mixed news. Home Depot and Kohl's disappoint. TJ Maxx did well. Uh, Are we gleaning anything from this as we head into the all-important Christmas shopping season? Well, that that is a, a little bit of why things are mixed up. Um, you, you, you know, you're trying to resist this urge to glean too much from it, um, uh, given that you know, like Kohl's, for instance, is a very you know interesting retailer, and in that it kind of is in sort of that 
that, that gray area of, um, you know, a retailer that's, that's trying to transform itself and, you know, with digital capabilities and an e-commerce channel and isn't necessarily a value-oriented retailer, but it's not also, you know, it's not a luxury-oriented retailer. Um, it's, you know, in some malls, other places it's off-mall. So it's a, it's a tough situation there. Uh, and then Home Depot, of course, is, uh, is unique in and of itself. But look, Home Depot is a great company. Right? It fell short on some same store sales expectations and trimmed some of its guidance, you know, for for the full year. And uh, so it's understandable that the stock would be down. But keep in mind, Home Depot was up forty percent uh, year to date going into that print, and uh, it had risen, you know, fifteen percent over the last three months. So it was priced for perfection, and you know, and it, and it wasn't perfect. And so you're seeing some of that. Um, rolled back in the price this morning as a result, uh, but um, uh, but I wouldn't read too much through uh, to Home Depot uh, from a negative standpoint, because they did suggest that they did see pretty good sales growth in a broad-based manner across its various categories. So, we'll have to kind of, you know, wait and see if that repeats itself, you know, through this uh, through this fourth quarter. But And then finally, you know, TJX companies is just, you know, indicative of, I think, the, the trend that's been holding up for some time now is that, you know, the, the appeal of this value-oriented retailer um, in the face of uh, uh, the of an industry landscape that has been favoring more online shopping. Um, but, uh, you know, the strength of TGX just underscores how, you know, some, you know, many consumers still enjoy going out to that, uh, what, you know, is labeled a, a treasure hunt of sorts as they go shopping in those stores and, uh, and, and look for, for great value, um, uh, that has flowed through in their inventory in large part because of some of the difficulties you've seen at some of these department stores and other retailers like Kohl's and Macy's. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to uh, live in the era of Amazon and how dominant they've done and how companies like Home Depot, Kohl's, and TJ Maxx all have little different strategies to, to combat the big guy that's uh, ruling retail. I think the other big story that we need to comment on for sure is housing numbers. Um, looks like a lot of buildings are going to be going on in 2020 with the permit activity. Now, that's good news and bad news. Economically speaking, more inventory puts more people in houses, yes, but maybe not as much demand or not as much of a pushing up in price. What are your thoughts on the numbers that we saw out there today? Sure. Well, you know, certainly what we see, I guess, you know, to tie it back into existing home sales, right, which we account for like the, the lion's share of, of home sales in the country, you know, they've been in inventory constrained for some time. So you need new supply coming on market, right? And, and more importantly, you need new supply coming in at more affordable price points. But um, so to the extent that you can get more inventory out there, it can help keep some of that. Uh, uh, you know, building price pressure in, in check and, and uh, you know, and, and invite more prospective buyers into the market. Um, so, um, so I think we can, you know, look at this uh, housing starts and building permits report for October objectively as, as really a piece of good news, um, particularly since you saw growth uh, across the single family sector uh, on both permits and, uh, and, and starts. And, and importantly, you saw that growth Shine, uh, shine through in the nation's largest regions, that being the South and the West. Uh, so that's a good sign, and it should uh, should build well in terms of the permits number uh, uh, for you know not only the leading economic index, but but just in general for. Um, 
you know, a pickup in, in construction of new homes uh, as we, we move ahead in the next few months. What else are you working on, sir, that you think is important for the listeners to start thinking about? I know you have that big Friday column that you kind of, mm-hmm. it's the big picture. So yeah. you, you got something in your head noodling through right now. Well, a couple ideas, and, and yeah, there's lots of noodles in there. In there, so um, you know, uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit. You know, look at uh, I think you know what we've seen in these retail reports this morning, uh, and and for me, you know, kind of from a bigger picture standpoint, it crystallizes for me as we see just how good this year has been overall from an index level uh, return standpoint. Um, and I think that you know you probably have seen. Uh, you know, returns from next year pulled forward into this year, uh, especially when you take into account that we haven't had any earnings growth in 2019, and yet the S&P 500 is up 25%. So I think that, uh, you know, as we look to 2020, um, it, it, it will, in you know, my mind, likely be more of that, uh, quote, stock pickers market. Uh, and you're going to see, you know, uh, the good performers separated from the bad performers, and, and you're going to get these disparate stock reactions based on the operating trends at, you know, at various companies. And, and, and we're seeing that today, obviously, across the retail industry. But I think that could extend really from a broader market standpoint into next year, uh, since so many stocks have risen with the tide here in 2019. So I might explore that idea uh, in, in this Friday's big picture column. Thanks very much. As always, very informative. Have a good day, and maybe we'll get another market high for you to write about tomorrow. Thanks very much. Thanks, <laughs> Absolutely. 800-516-1220. That's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a reliable source of both domestic and international news. I start my day every day with it, as I have for over 20 years. And for instance, I can go in and punch in just a random stock. Let's see. Um, oh boy, now I want to have to come up with a random stock. I'm like, don't do the one you want to do. Do a different one. Um, how about GoPro? It's a stock that I don't own, and it doesn't sound like I'm touting it. So I may own it in an index. But GoPro, when you take a look at what briefing comes up on it, um, they just released earnings, and they talk about how the stock moved up 6.6% after the market. Uh, they beat by $0.06 cents a share. Revenues fell 54% year over year. When I see that, I'm like, whoa. I get why it's a hard-hit stock. So the Hero 8 um, got delayed or something along those lines, and it's all in the stories that they write, in the articles, and the summaries, and the insights. Uh, tons of stuff on um, different types of investors, whether you're a technical person or a story stock or an IPO, or you just want to get a big picture of what's happening in the economy. Briefing.com does a really nice job. Um, I like the Wall Street Journal. I like the New York Times. Um, As far as daily newspapers, briefing I like for the daily summaries and the insights into why a stock is reacting the way it is. Different sites will get you different types of information. I hope that's fair to say. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Um, Broadcom was named one of Goldman Sachs' top picks. Now, first and foremost, the top picks get the benefit of being named the top pick. Uh, people will say, well, well, if Goldman Sachs, like, and Rob Black just talked about it, then it must be good. People won't do research. 
It also gets the benefit of everything that Goldman Sachs, all their clients, very likely have someone associated with them, whether it be a financial advisor, a financial planner, a stockbroker. Although the, the days and ages of having a stockbroker seem to be <laughs> finished. Thank you, Charles Schwab and Fidelity and TD Ameritrade for going down to no commission trades. Um, so Goldman Sachs gets that benefit of, or Broadcom gets the benefit of being kind of part of a press release. And I think there's no better way of saying it than that. So that's out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. I would never buy anything from someone else's list unless you did a lot of homework on top of it. That's probably the best way of finishing that. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Travis Klanick has sold $882 million of his Uber shares since the lockup period expired. Um, interesting. A lot of people are flushing now on Uber from inside the company. When that flushing ends, some selling pressure will abate. I'm Rob Black. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Sometimes it's good to know your limitations. I think I'm a good investor because I'm not very emotional, whether it's greed or fear. I think I'm a good investor because I look at the behavioral aspect of products. I'm a good investor because I've done it for 25 years plus. What makes you a good investor? What makes you solid? You should have an answer. I can tell you one of my weaknesses in relationships. It's the fact that I don't have much of a personality uh, of emotion. I don't have an emotional personality. Maybe it'll come late in life. When I saw a baby born, I was like, eh. It's a little overrated. <laughs> it, was a, it was a miracle. It's a miracle. Um, let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Let's talk a little financial planning and get back on track, shall we? Chad? Now, certified financial planner, Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. So, Chad, basically my dad died early and my mom's got bad health for 20 years already of retirement. Does my retirement look like it's going to suck or what? <laughs> Does it really look well? I think you'll probably be okay, Rob. But uh, you do have to stay healthy. Yeah, um, that's it's absolutely part of responsible, you know, healthy choices for retirement is is concentrating on your health and also making sure you're constantly saving. Here's a poor choice. I saw, I saw this just horrible, beat up car driving down the road. Um, one of those cancer ribbons on it, okay. big giant pink cancer ribbon, like fight cancer. Okay. I'm dying to see where this goes. The lady's smoking in her car with the two <laughs> kids in the back seat, and I'm like, I, so I'm looking at you know, yeah. I don't judge people by their their beat up cars because you know I've got a decent looking car, a couple dents, hundred and sixty thousand miles on it, right? I, I, I really don't care about that, but it kind of leads to the next look. Okay, so you're smoking, that you don't care about your health to now your kids in the, are in the car, so you don't even care about their health. Right. And I guarantee they have nothing safe for retirement, yet they're ten, spending a ton of money on cigarettes. Like, their cigarette habit is their retirement plan, because they're going to retire and die. That's fair. Instead of having saved that money, and they could have retired at some point. So, uh, it, yeah. This is, you and I share a very humble vision of the future. 
uh, where we see people just do bad things financially. Well, there's a... I, I've got to find this person that was interviewed because I, I saw a great one on, on Bloomberg about that. Part of What is the reason for the wealth gap that we're seeing? And, and part of it is because people, you know, hopefully you're teaching your kids about wise decisions, about saving money, making money, how to take money and use it to make more money. Right. And then people are tending to get married later, meaning they're making better choices on their marriages and they're marrying like kind individuals. Yeah. So it's kind of like the more it's, you know, different sides of money getting together, highly educated. They're making more but money. Also if people are making more money in their twenties, more people would probably be getting married. Some women are putting off because they're looking for that husband who could provide. Yeah. I mean, it could be, I mean, some, there's a lot start, of, there's a lot of factors moving here. There is a lot of factors. And then there's also a lot of lack of opportunity in certain areas where the, where kids are growing up in in poor areas and they don't see the opportunity outside of, you know, their current vision, their current realm of opportunities. Um, so I've got, I've got it's, a friend. it's tough to solve. It really is. I've got a friend here who makes almost $70,000 a year. I'm like, you need to move because $70,000 a year in the Bay area is basically poverty. It's not. $70,000 is a lot of money in Seattle. It's nothing. Oh, it's not area. a lot of money. Seattle's expensive. Well, I'm trying to go, say. Go down to Vancouver, Washington. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> but, but that's a humbling message we're sending about Social Security and retirement. And, uh, you know, that's a good paying job. And it is good. We're starting to see some wage inflation at the lower level, too. And I think, you know, one of the things that would help the economy drastically and help jobs numbers and everything else is, is tax incentives to businesses to go into different areas to create jobs. The... Um, you know, our current tax code is horrible. I mean, we're totally getting past the point of where we where we started with, which was kind of this, am I ready to retire list? Right? I mean, the, this guy writes and he says, hi, Chad, here's my plan on paper. I'm 48. I need 55 grand a year in retirement based on this list for my monthly cost. So he goes through and he provides me this list. And I love these. If you guys want to shoot me an email, you know, am I ready to retire? Chad at chadburton.com. I love these emails in terms of helping people Look at their current situation. Are they doing the right thing? Is there enough? Now, and he lists out his medical insurance costs. He's, he's putting in their factor for long-term care insurance. So he's obviously been listening. Car insurance, dental, vision, property taxes, personal tax, some entertainment, utilities, things like that. So he's given me this total. And he tells me that he's going to have a pension that covers some of the costs, some Social Security at age 70 that covers some, covers some of the cost. The problem is in the first line of the sentence, Rob. Here's my plan on paper. I'm 48 and I need 50,000, 55,000 a year in retirement based on this list for my monthly cost. He's 48 years old. He's right. not going to retire for another, you know, 15 to 18 years. Right. So he doesn't need $55,000 a year. He needs $110,000 a year. That's what he has to base his budget on because the value of the dollars cut in half every 18 years, even with the current rates of inflation. So he's compl- he's totally off track. I don't even have to read the rest of the sentences in terms of his monthly costs because he actually needs to double each of one of those costs because of inflation. And everybody from a normal person to an engineer sometimes makes this, you know, a constant, consistently makes this mistake in terms of inflation. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black. Um, interesting story out today that has big ramifications. And I'm just going to take the angle of sarcasm when I say this. Elizabeth Warren wants to lower the cost of renting a home by 10%. She's zeroing in on voters, in my opinion. And again, that's that's the sarcasm. That's the cynic in me, right? 
She wants to help build, preserve, and rehabilitate over 3 million units for lower-income families. She proposes $500 billion to go into housing over the next 10 years and wants to lower rental costs by about 10%. I'm suspicious of how it gets funded. I don't like the way it's getting funded. They're gonna. She wants to cut the estate tax from when you die. You get taxed if you have over $17 million. She wants to cut that number down considerably. I know that feels like it's robbing Peter, rich Peter, to pay for Paul. I'm not 100% sure I'm behind this, but I do know 100 million potential voters might be interested. I'm Rob Black.